0: Powered by the National Screen Institute, this is The Hats We Wear, and I'm your host, Emily Palmer. Welcome to this limited podcast series, where you'll hear from some incredible individuals who happen to be the alumni of the National Screen Institute. Throughout the show, we'll talk successes, failures, highs and lows, and the journey of life as guests navigate the creative media industries in Canada and beyond. This show is produced and distributed from Treaty 1 territory. We acknowledge the land that is occupied and their traditional keepers, Anishinaabe, Cree, Dakota, and the Métis. This is The Hats We Wear. Throughout this series, I've learned that stories have the power to provide understanding, healing, and spark important conversations among audiences. When I am watching a film, reading a book, or even listening to a podcast, it often feels like the storyteller is personally addressing me, asking me to reflect on my own life and think differently about the world around me. But what about the storytellers themselves? How do storytellers use their art to process their own emotions? and reflect on themselves and their own experiences. In this episode, we'll hear from National Screen Institute grad Nadine Arpin. We'll hear about Nadine's experiences making animated films in northwestern Ontario, and how filmmaking has helped Nadine process grief surrounding the loss of a friend. As a trigger warning, this episode contains discussions surrounding trauma and violence against Indigenous women.
1: I've always been drawn to moving pictures, you know, the film, you know, I, I, when I was a kid, I grew up on the front street, to so look out and a block away was the cinema. And as a kid, I could go down there four years old, five years old, I could walk by myself to the cinema because that's the world we lived in back then that you'd let a little kid, I would never do it now, I'll tell you that, but, but as a kid, you know, so it was like a regular activity and, you know, um, yeah, I'm almost 55 now. So for me, being, that was a time when, you know, you saw a movie at the cinema. You know, you, maybe if you could stay up late enough, you could watch it on TV.
0: <laughs> this is Nadine Arpin. Nadine is a two-spirit Red River Métis filmmaker living in Sioux Lookout, Northwestern Ontario. Nadine has developed films like Portrait of a Zamboni Driver, and Jane and the Wolf, which was developed through the NSI and program in 2016. When was Nadine first introduced to the film and television
1: industries? Uh, you, you know, like, prior to my experience at the NSI, frankly, it was um, my, my um, experience and my education I had been all arts-based. So most of, the, most of my work um, began when I attended OCA, so that was the Ontario College of Art. It is now called Ontario College of Art and Design now I believe. Um, but at that time that was you know like that sort of arts world was very different from the broadcast like you know there were sort of like these two streams you know there was the, the art house crazy little you know back room kind of screenings and stuff like that. So it honestly it, it, it was kind of a leap um, was when I went to a film festival in Thunder Bay and it was um, it was the Bay Street Film Festival, and uh, Elise Swerhorn was there at that time, and she was doing a presentation with her husband, Bob. Elise Swerhone is an award-winning
0: filmmaker based out of Winnipeg. She worked as a program manager at the National Screen Institute for 10 years and co-developed the NSI Indigidocs program.
1: And I remember going there, and I was so impressed with Bob, first off, like, oh, because I love archival. I love archival music, uh, film, and music, and you know, vintage stuff. And he had, he was just releasing his latest film. Um, so that was kind of my introduction. It was just like meeting Elise and she started talking about this program and it was kind of like, that's the logical step to kind of get out of, you know, how do you kind of get into bigger productions? Cause I was still working in very small, completely independent works. You know, I had, you know, it was just me and my computer, you know, <laughs> that kind of stuff. So So, yeah, so I think um, definitely it was through the NSI was my first real, like, professional and serious introduction to to that world.
0: That's awesome. And uh, I know that you and I had talked about music and, like, sounds in our initial conversation. And I'm interested to know, how is sound and music important when delivering a message in, in a film?
1: Um, you know, in the early days of uh, making productions, uh, my worst enemy was sound recording. I found that to be a real struggle. Um, and it was always, you know, it noticeably detracted from my work. That was the one thing that, you know, it, it became apparent really quickly that um, sound was, uh was something that I needed to really pay close attention to. And I, of course, I've always loved music and music is so evocative. And, in, in, you know, um, um, prior to starting to return to my craft because there was a brief time where I just kind of went corporate for a while because I had a, I had a bit of a, uh, um, you know, dark night of the soul with, with the arts world. And this is actually part of my transition too. But as a result of doing corporate work, I had to listen to a lot of music, you know? like lots lots of music, what works best and stuff. So I did get a a bit of a self-taught education, um, just trying to uh, work with the emotional impact that music can have when, you know, uh, coupling it with images.
0: There's so many things that you've incorporated into your films. So for animation and those kind of the visual representation of things, why is that important to include in, in your films?
1: And how does that help tell a story? like the thing is again I guess like there's something um, very magical I think about when you start getting and you start sort of taking a uh, story out of like a, the real world and this sort of a, something that's more visually identifiable into something that's more um, magical like animation that anything that has that sort of uh, child almost there's a child quality to it um, and and particularly in Jane and the Wolf because we were talking about this this legend or this story or the idea of the creation of a legend, you know, like how a real event, you know, has shaped this family's story and has become this, you know, a teaching tool.
0: Jane the Wolf is set in the 1960s when the Pagua River was a booming railroad town populated by second generation Crees. During one cold winter, the community was being stalked by a lone wolf. Every attempt to kill the wolf failed. Jane recognized the wolf as a spirit sign from the ancestors. Ridiculed for her beliefs, Jane set out alone to kill the wolf using the old ways. The hybrid documentary uses cinema verite, archival photographs, and animation.
1: In that particular film, I was really interested in that childlike images, almost like the drawings are very sort of simple and um, relatable. So, like, I think it's all reflective of the work itself, depending on what your content is. You know, I'm not... Um, I, I am very drawn to animation and my current project is, is definitely uh, heavily, you know, another hybrid um, incorporating animation again in a much more uh, robust way compared to something like Jane and the Wolf because it has a, fu- a much more different target, I guess, you know.
0: Nadine and writer Eve Zaremba are currently developing the film Eve Zaremba's Dyke Detective. The film is the origin story of Eve Zaremba's graphic novel character, Helen Kremos, an indigenous lesbian detective who starred in a crime mystery series, which Eve released in her book, A Reason to Kill, in 1978. Why did Nadine gravitate towards a graphic novel character that was created over 40 years ago? How did Nadine and Eve initially connect? I met
1: Eve's partner, who's Adi Lockie, uh, at an OAC jury, um, like, um... Uh, meeting like so we were selected as juries for for a particular program so we met each other on this program and she had asked me out for coffee i went during one of the breaks and when we were at getting the coffee you know how the cashier always says what's your name for the coffee cup and she said her name was eve right and i'm like you know who's eve <laughs> right you know aren't you, isn't your name lucky because i'm bad with names it's like you know, isn't it, you know, isn't you like your name? So anyway, so basically she said, Eve is my, you know, she goes, oh, he's my partner. You know, you're going to really like her. She, you know, she wrote a book about a lesbian detective, right? And it was just like, bing, bing, you know, what? You know, so she, you know, she started talking to me about the fact that she was supposed to be Indigenous, right, as well, like, you know, this Métis lesbian detective. And all of that kind of uh, resulted, it was all happening around the time, um, a friend of mine had been murdered in Sulucout and I was really messed up about it. It was like, you know, another situation where, you know, indigenous woman was being completely, you know, brushed aside, it's like, well, you know, she died, whatever, she had a cop life, that's the way it goes, you know? So I was kind of really confused about it. So when we, we met, I I kind of started thinking about how, you know, this character, this this private eye might be able to come back and solve this murder, you know? Um, and that was the beginning of the conversation to actually start a new story together. And that was three years ago, three years ago exactly almost, that they came to Suliket for research because Eve, when she writes a story, she wants to be immersed, you know. And uh, so, yeah. And at that point, the character had been already retired for 30 years. So it's kind of, you know, in, in Eve's remba is a 90 year old woman. Right? <laughs> so it's all very, very complicated. Um, and the thing that was really, you know, there was all these, there were so many things that were kind of piling up. Like she, she created the character when she was driving, This is Eve driving solo in a, um, in a cross Canada trip, but she invented the character like somewhere near Sulaco. Cause she was like, you know, somewhere after the border of Manitoba, you know, in Ontario, I started to think about this character, Helen Caramos, you know? And at that time, Eve, was already an author and had her own bookstore. So she's been, you know, she has been, you know, an experienced writer and loved, loved crime mystery. But at the at that point, there was no lesbian characters that were reflective of who she was that she could identify with, you know? So um, technically, Helen Karamo is, is the very first lesbian to be featured in a, a book series. So she has that accolade to her name, you know? So, and uh, so that... Like that part, the part that the fact that she was actually created around where I grew up, you know, it, it, it really resonated with me, you know, and, and I thought about, you know, when I was a kid, if I could have had those books, I would have loved those books, you know, like a queer, you know, mixed blood, indigenous detective. I would have been all over that, you know? <laughs> so like that kind of stuff was not, you know, just to have, you know, I'm coming from a generation where, you know, queer content was not available in northwestern Ontario, let alone in a, a town of five thousand people, right? It's like it was super homophobic growing up. So even now to be in Suleic now compared to then, you know, where there's like pride flags everywhere and pride lives here and you know, and there's all you know, pride flags at the town offices like what? <laughs> you know what I mean you know so like there's so many shifts right so there it just because of the time period of, of the, when the character is written the character's written in the 70s you know like all of it sort of really kind of uh connected with me and I just and I wanted a way ultimately to process my grief I mean um you know the COVID has given me an opportunity to really reflect on reflect on what that project is about and and what really is the seed of it and fundamentally is trying to process losing someone and wanting to have a different story. Like just wanting to, (laughs) I have no control. So I'm going to create this fictional story where, you know, this person doesn't die, you know, and this person has some autonomy and has some control and there's actual justice in the world. Right. So um, like, ultimately that is what the new story is about. The film is about making this new story. So it's kind of complicated in that way.
0: So Two for sure. No, I think yeah. that's great. And that was my next question. I was going to ask you, like, um, how has the development of the film helped you uh, with your grief and and anything else that you've kind of, how, how has it served in, as an outlet for you? Um, and feel free to not go into it if you don't want to. That's so yeah. it's okay.
1: Well, it's all good because, you know, I'm, I'm, frankly, I'm at the stage where I have accumulated almost all my content. Um, I'm working on the final animation but what I'm, what is left is my narration, which is exactly what I'm gonna be doing. And we'll be talking about what this, you know, filling in the the thread of what's happening as we see this road trip of, you know, myself and these two ladies, you know, coming to Northwestern Ontario and trying to talk about what, how this story is supposed to unfold and what it's about, you know? Um, and so, you know, like for me at this stage, it's, it's been very useful to just talk it out, you know, and just um, try to understand for myself why uh, this film is important to me and what I hope it will bring. So ultimately it was meant to be like a prelude or an origin story for the project, which is the real dream project, which is the actual crime series. I want to do, you know, maybe a six part, um, crime series featuring Helen Kremos and my new character, it will tell the story of Spirit Falls. And in, you know, through the story, they will be solving um, a, a crime and that that takes place in the community that involves, you know, very layered and complex, you know, the characters that are gonna be drawn from a lot of my own experience here in Northwestern Ontario, like what I live in. So they're kind of drawn from truth. They're all stories based in truth, but of course, fictionalized.
0: Is there a routine or something that you incorporate in your daily life that reminds you to stay on your path and just reminds you like, I am Nadine?
1: Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. Like that's, that's like a, that's a heavy question, eh? <laughs> Jeez. You know, and I've, I've been maybe reflecting on that myself lately. Uh, you know, it's taken me a long time to feel really comfortable in my skin. You know, I feel I finally kind of, I come into my own. I know what I think. I understand why I think it. I know why I do what I do. So, you know, I think in many ways, um, I, I feel that it's important for me to, to always do a little, to create a little something all the time, like, you know, and I love social platforms for that. Like, that is one thing I'm really grateful for Instagram or you know, and actually TikTok is my new little fave. So, you know, like, and I love that. I like that instant, you know, let's just load something up. Let's create a little fun short of whatever it is, a little clip of this or a photograph. So those kinds of just daily kind of creative practices, I think are very um, uh, nurturing, you know, and I feel like they're good medicine in many ways, you know, I use it as very journalistic, depending on how I feel, it's what it is. So when I look back, it's I find the pieces try to embody my emotional status <laughs> at that point you know so i can kind of reflect on my own life from those from those those little contributions so i do think that the daily practice of like almost personal archive is is a really um nurturing uh, practice and i uh, and it's something that i have done throughout my life in different forms but i feel like i finally see like it's not you know it's just something I do intuitively now it's not like I, like, hey, you got to make something now you know or you should be really sitting down and drawing something you know like it's it just happens because I want to you know so it's natural
0: and my last question is uh who or what so give me a person it can be an event give me a thing um has inspired you to do the work that you do every day
1: It's so hard, but I know like throughout my life, there's definitely been different people who have kind of, you know, it's like, it seems in every stage of my life, there's been somebody there that really inspires me. Um, And actually right now, what is inspiring me to do work at this stage in my career is the emerging artists that are around me. Um, I am finding it really exciting to, it's almost like I had to skip generation. Like I'm finding, a generation in Sulikaut who are very different they're very different-minded they have you know like maybe just more um, exposure because of you know internet access there just seems to be a a really exciting creative energy happening right now so um, I'm inspired by that and wanting to somehow help like nurture that you know so you know there's a lot of work that's going on right now trying to make mentor like create mentor programs having workshops so we're just trying to really um harness and promote what is happening here in northwestern ontario and encourage people to produce work here and tell our stories so that is that is very exciting for me you know it started uh, with a seed of something and it's becoming it's growing and growing and growing and it's kind of, you know. It's great it's great to see but, um, but yeah so right now I you know I cannot say anyone specifically but I would say let's say the uh, young knowledge keepers the young indigenous knowledge keepers of, of Northwestern Ontario are are like a breath of fresh air let's just say
0: This episode was written and produced by me, Emily Palmer, communications intern at the National Screen Institute. A very special thank you goes out to NSI's Joy Lowen, Liz Hover, Chris Vajner, Ursula Lawson, Kaya Wheeler, and Jessica Gibson. Thank you to the National Screen Institute's corporate supporters, Manitoba Sport, Culture, and Heritage, the City of Winnipeg, to the Winnipeg Arts Council, TELUS, Telefilm Canada, CBC, APTN, Bell Media, Directors Guild of Canada, Manitoba Film and Music, RBC Emerging Artist Project, Documentary Channel, CBC Gem, Centre for Aboriginal Human Resource Development, Indigenous Screen Office, Canada Media Fund, The Winnipeg Foundation, Super Channel, Blue Ant Media, National Film Board of Canada, Stantec, William F. White International and Company 3. And a very special thank you to all of our other supporters. And a big thank you to you for listening to this episode of The Hats We Wear.